Welcome back, Chelsea fans, as always, to the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. My name is Zach, and today we'll be discussing our victory against both Derby and Crystal Palace from this past week, as well as everything else Chelsea-related, including one Alvaro Morata. That's a shocker because we really don't talk about him that much in our podcast. Psych. But <laughs> before we get into it, I want to introduce my trusted right hand within the pod, Mr. Sambakarzade. How you doing, man? This episode is not brought to you by Spectrum Internet uh, <laughs> because they really boned me last week. Last week, I wasn't able to make it because my internet was not working for like an hour and a half, and I was able to start it up right when everyone finished, right when you guys finished the recording, so very convenient timing, Uh, but I'm so happy to be back. I missed it. I I missed, you know, this is like a, you know, a a ritual I have to do every week with you guys, and when I miss it, it's, you know, something's missing in my life, so nice to be back. It's so nice of you. I know. Start off on a sweet note. (laughs) And uh, of course, there's no Roman's Empire pod without the third and final member of our show, uh, Andres Velasco. How you doing? Doing great, man. Always great to start a week after a Chelsea victory and excited to have all three of us again to start talking some uh, blues football. Oh, it's a beautiful thing when we record after two decent victories not the greatest <laughs> but decent i chose my words They're wisely because the darby county one was uh, a shit was, show uh, yeah but, it was basically a shit show i mean was, why don't we just jump right in and yeah and get right to it so obviously the final score chelsea three uh darby county two uh starting lineup of willie emerson cahill christian christensen zappa uh, as our defensive team and then we got kovacic Sask and uh, Conte to man out the midfield and RLC, William and Morata up front with uh, RLC playing as the at the wing like I suggested last week. Maybe uh maybe uh sorry heard what I said and uh took it to heart a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I, I might I might be I got a, I got a phone call right after actually to see if I could be an advisor, but uh I turned it down. Oh, I couldn't leave yeah. you guys. Uh, sure. I couldn't leave you guys, but let's start off talking about the center backs at first, though, because that was uh, a really poor performance from uh, both Cahill and Christensen, uh, two guys who we always support so much on the show and have really let us down <laughs> a lot this season. Um, they allowed nine total shots, seven of those on goal. Uh, Chelsea had four shots with uh, five on goal total, so not 14. really sorry for yeah 14 shots with five on goal so not even not that much of a disparity honestly for a team that we should have been dominating um they just Cahill and Christensen they just did not look fit for purpose very shaky um you know just just overall not a very good performance Zach you want to give me a your take on what happened between these two I mean, I, the first thing that stuck out to me was the lack of – I mean, there, there was just a complete lack of positive possession coming from the – starting from the back, actually. Cahill and Christensen constantly passing side to side. We, we could not find that through ball to split that first line of defense that Darby had. And, you know, when a team is pressuring you high like that, you have to be able to play the ball out of the back. And, you know, obviously Emerson and Zapacoso were getting marked out of the game as the press, uh, as they were pressing on our side of the field. 
And when the ball got to Cahill and Christensen, they just were not even looking forward. They were just playing backwards and playing sideways. And for me, that was a huge reason why we struggled in this game. And, and because we couldn't really get Cesc Fabregas on the ball until about 30 minutes into the first half. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was the first thing that stood out to me. Andres, I don't know if you want to take the defensive side because I know if I get into it, I'm just going to start ranting for the for the length of the whole entire show. <laughs> Yeah, no, you you hit the nail on the head on that one. The thing that you miss the most without Luis and Rudiger is that vision to beat the press, whether that's a ball over the top or a split pass that can split that initial press from the forwards. Um, and that's something that Sari obviously loves about the Rudiger-Luis partnership is that even if one of them is getting pressed high, he can depend on the other. And Yes, Christensen had something like 90-plus percent completion rate last year under Conte, but those passes were never – we were never playing those difficult passes. So, uh, yeah, I think that that sort of press and, and lack of beating the press is the reason why these two guys are second options to Luis and Rudiger. And you could really see the difference between them uh, when Christensen – Christ- Christensen got subbed off in the 65th minute for David Luiz. Uh, David Luiz was an immediate impact in terms of, you know, distribution out of the back. I mean, Andreas, is Christensen further away from the starting 11 than we thought? Uh, I think so. He's obviously lacking in confidence right now. It also doesn't help when he's not playing with, I mean, if he's playing with the first team versus our second team, I, I feel like that also plays a factor into it. But he's not getting the backing from the manager. He's adding mistakes to his game. I still think he has crazy high potential. I just, just like we talk about Morata needing to play with confidence, I feel like Christensen also needs that backing. And the lack of minutes tied to the fact that he's also not getting the benefit of playing beside Rudiger or Luis is, is really hurting his value in Sari's eyes. See, a part of me doesn't really have too much sympathy for Christensen. Um, we all know the whole story with Antonio Conte last season, how he sort of overplayed him and and kind of broke him down mentally. But you know, he had a he had a decent World Cup, which he should have built on uh, built on um, going into this season with Chelsea. And I mean, I know he's playing with Gary Cahill on a back line that's not too familiar with each other. But against the Championship side, you have to be at least stable at the very least. And in this game, we didn't see that at all. Um, and it, it just adds to more fuel to the fire that he's going out into the press and talking about, Oh, well, I need playing time. And if not, I have to reevaluate my options. And, you know, look, you got to put together a run of decent performances before you could go running your mouth like that. It's just, I guess it's something that's uh, more prevalent with this generation of footballers, a sense of uh, self entitlement, like, um, hey, I was this big youth prodigy, and I went out on loan, and I impressed. Now now that I'm back at my parent club, I need to be in the starting 11. Look, if you need to be in the starting 11, then you got to prove it on the pitch and on a training field. And uh, it's clearly uh, obvious that he's way behind um, in terms of the pecking order, especially with this David Luiz and Maurizio Sarri bromance going on. I actually think that uh, David Luiz is the first name on the team sheet if you're Maurizio Sarri uh, behind Jorginho, of course. But um, you know, I think if he is going to get into the starting 11 at some point, um, believe it or not, I think it might even, I, I think it might be for Rudy. 
Um, I think Maurizio Sarri loves David Luiz that much. Um, he, he trusts him a lot, and he's he's given him the freedom to step into that midfield role uh, when we are in possession, when, when Jorginho gets marked out of games. And he's just somebody that's so vital to our team. And, you know, if you look at our spine – um, I think I think you could definitely see David Luiz as one of those key components that makes us so successful. So if Christensen does want to get into the side, he has to beat Rudy. And right now, Rudy's one of the top center backs uh, in the Premier League, if not in Europe. So uh, good right. luck to Christensen. And if you're going to go running your mouth, you got to show it on the pitch. I mean, that that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I I, I don't have sympathy for players that go out in the press and talk and uh, have this sense of self entitlement and then go put on a shit performance. It just I, I don't buy that. Yeah, I guess I, I guess because he's young, I don't know if it's stubbornness to not alter his game. Because under Conte's like system, where he had the I guess freedom to dribble out of the back, he he seemed to succeed more under Sari, where we do more passing than individual dribbling. Um, obviously, he may be like he's fighting his own instinct, but I mean, if players like Barkley and even Loftus Cheek can learn to play under this like style, I don't understand why Christensen doesn't make those changes either. So I'll give you that much. But I do think that Rudiger might be the first defender on the team sheet based on form. So that's just my opinion. Ah, oh God, I love Rudy so much. And I think that it's fun. My favorite thing about the season is how different it's really turned out from how we kind of predicted from the beginning of the season. Because when we watched that first match with uh, Rudy and David Luiz as the back line, both me and Zach were agreeing that's like, no, the, the, this – duo gave us like a heart attack because of how much they pushed up and you know how often they made mistakes and you know looking now a couple months into the season it's like you know we we can't look at another pairing uh at center back and think you know this is the best we have like it's it's clearly these two and i just this season has just been honestly a huge surprise for me just in almost every aspect um but i want yeah, sorry, one last thing. I mean, you know, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg. I think Sorry said after the Crystal Palace match that, you know, we were we were actually he's he's been lucky uh, that or we've been lucky um, with our little unbeaten run, considering how tactically behind we are um, in terms yeah. of his expectation for we're the team started. and where we are now. So, you know, it's just crazy to me because this is probably the best football um, that we've seen at Chelsea in a really long time in an attacking sense. And the fact that Sarri's like, whoa, 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 this isn't even close <laughs> to the finished article uh, just makes me that much more excited to see what happens as the season goes on. Yeah, I guess we kind of expected it to be a good season, but just not this early. It would take some time for them to, you know, really mm-hmm. put the things together. But so far, undefeated season, it's it's looking really great right now. Um, I kind of want to I want to get into RLC as a as a right wing. He had a decent outing, provided creativity coming off the right side. Um, Zach, I'll ask you, since RLC is your boy, uh, what did you make of his performance? How do you like him on that right side? He He's an interesting one because it, at Crystal Palace, he was playing off to the left in like this weird 4-4-2 type formation last season. And and it kind of worked out for him. You know, He was cutting onto his right foot and, and, and pinging balls into the box, keeping possession for them. And now he's coming off of the right, and uh, he was doing a lot of the same. Um, he, he'd received the ball. He was running at defenders and, and and darting into spaces, finding those gaps in between the lines, and just kind of and kind of playing there. That that's where he made most of his money in this game. Um, obviously, we would have liked to see him have more service, 
Um, but the fact that we never really got a foothold, a solid foothold in this match from the midfield standpoint only meant that Loftus Cheek and Willian, uh, actually our, our whole front three was going to be, uh, was going to be, th- their effect on the game was going to be minimalized. Um, I thought that if we did have more of a stronghold in the midfield, possessing the ball, moving it a little bit quicker, getting the ball out wide into those areas, I think Loftus-Cheek would have been a huge problem for Darby. It's just unfortunate that we were unable to play the ball out of the back, and that um, it kind of started this whole domino effect of us not really being able to play our game for the majority of the game. Um, I think we only really got into a solid rhythm for about five or ten minutes at a time. Um, and, and And when we did... Uh, it would end abruptly by a Darby County counterattack. So, but seeing our seeing our OC as a right winger, it's it's definitely shown how versatile he is as a footballer. Um, we talked about how he doesn't really have this defined position and how no coach had a defined position for him um, coming through the youth. He was playing up. They talked about it last week. How. Possibly he could slot into that number nine role um, if, if, if Murata and Drew aren't uh, suited for purpose. And now we're seeing him playing off to the right. It's just the guy could literally play anywhere. Um, and, and, and he's showing how versatile of a footballer he is. I'm so excited to see where this takes him. Um, and I think these experiences of him playing in positions that he's not too familiar with is only going to help him grow that much more um, as, as you know he continues his Chelsea career and hopefully a successful Chelsea career. Yeah, uh, RLC was, I think he was even a little bit more than decent. I just feel like what was happening around him kind of uh, paled what I really thought was a good performance from him. We What we lacked in possession, any time I felt like the team actually possessed out of the back was through Loftus-Cheek. Like, he would have a man right on his back and he would make one quick move and be kind of gone. And that's yeah. something that... Like last week, I was just saying like, oh, it would be a disservice to play Loftus-Cheek with his back to the goal. But then he did that this whole game. And I was just like, well, shit, like, here we go. He's proving me wrong once again. Like I was saying, like, I'd love for him to stay as one of the three midfielders. I just feel like that's where he's suited best. But he's putting himself um, – he's a utility man. The guy's playing everywhere, and he's doing well everywhere. So um, as much as I would love for him to cement himself as – just a strictly number eight center mid. The fact is he's making himself a mainstay, at least on the team sheet, whether that's the starting 11 or the bench, like mm-hmm. he can fill any gap right now in those front six players. And that's extremely exciting for a guy who, like you guys said, we thought might have to ask for a loan in January at the beginning of the season. So. Oh God. I love, I love hearing you guys <laughs> say good things about Loftus cheek. Here's the thing. It's, He's getting playing time, but it's not in the positions that we would assume that he would be getting playing time in, right? I mean, he he played in the Europa League off the right wing, got himself a hat trick. Should have had a hat trick in the first half, to be honest. And now he comes in against Darby, and yeah, I mean, I think it was more than decent as well now that I'm thinking about it. He was really our only option in terms of possession. He was kind of playing like a number nine role out on the right wing almost, Mm -hmm. Uh you know, with his back to goal and just finding those and finding those pockets and passing lanes in the midfield. I, I absolutely love him. He's a, he's a fucking unit. He could shake off defenders. His technical ability for his size is ridiculous. And that's, that's something that we don't see often in players with his physique and, and, and with his athleticism at all. Um, probably since Yaya Toure, to be honest, uh, at least in the premier league, but 
God, I, I, he's making it impossible for Maurizio Sarri to to not include him in the get into match day squads. And I think if we were chasing the game late on um, in the Crystal Palace match, which we're going to get on to, um, I think that there's no doubt that Loftus Cheek gets on ahead of Kovacic just because he does just because he does make those runs beyond the striker and he can find those spaces uh, to create shooting opportunities. I mean, Zach, have you heard us say any bad thing about RLC? <laughs> I mean, no, the absolute, no, the 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 sheer size of the lad, it just I mean, by itself gets me excited. But I mean, you know, obviously we have our we have our uh, our favorites. You know, RLC is yours, and you know, it's just it's just a more of like a competitive joking way. But yeah, anyway, we don't normally talk about the other side and what they did, but this is a special case uh, with our with our very own Frank Lampard and uh, Jody Morris. Um, controlling the helm at Derby. Uh, I kind of want to talk about, uh, Zach, if you want to get into it at first, how do they set up Derby and uh, what? Do, how do they do? What do they do? Well, uh, future Chelsea managers Frank Lampard and Jody Morris pretty much nailed it. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, they have appeared at the training ground a few times uh, last season and, in, and they're very familiar with a lot of the players. Um, and I, I think they set Darby up to perfection. I actually think Darby was hard done by. Um, they probably should have won this game. Um, they pressed us high, especially when the center backs had the ball. They they didn't allow us to play it out of the back. Um, they won it in key areas, case in point, Mason Mount um, playing that ball across the goal to, I think it was Waghorn, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I mean, they just forced us out of rhythm. They, they prevented us from getting any sort of dominance in terms of possession. Um, and, you know, it, it is a tough result for them. I, I do genuinely think they should have won that match. But how often does a team score two own goals in the same game? Um, <laughs> shout out to Fikayo Tomori. Yeah, that, that was a really tough so. one for me. Be- that was such a tough one I'm like because I thought he actually super had a so. decent game. He looked good but besides that own goal. But still, after that, I, I was very impressed with with his poise and, and the way that he uh, – the way that he finished out the match strong. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off that. I think Lampard said it best um, in his post-game conference that, you know, they were extremely unlucky not to get the result and that they should be extremely proud of how they played. Um, tactically set up to perfection. Not only were they pressing high, but they were man-marking Sesk to where even if Christensen and Cahill found him, it would be like a ambulance pass and Sesk would – essentially lose possession before even get the ball getting to him because he would have no one touch pass to get like, or time to get away from the man behind him. And we all know Sesk, if he lacks something, it's athleticism. So it's not like he was ever going to get the, whoever was defending him off his back on his own. So there was that. Um, then like, I mean, the go- the game was really four to one in terms of the goal scores. Yeah. The two mm-hmm. own goals. That's insane. And then our own actual goal, hate to side with Frank on this one, but we did foul someone. I think Zappacosta fouled his left back on the sideline. No call. Chelsea takes a quick throw in. Next thing we know, we're up 3-2. I'm not going to complain about the result, but, yeah, I mean, the, the ref missed it. They're, it was they right mean, in front of his face, too. He, yeah, he yeah. had a bully ball, I mean, from – you know, I mean, Premier League team the, against a championship team. Come on, their their player was out of bounds. I mean, he wasn't even on he wasn't even on the pitch, and and Zappacosta just barrels him over and takes a quick throw in. I mean, 
isn't that just the epitome of play to the whistle? I mean, you you always yeah. hear that as like a youth player, sure. like play to the whistle. Zapacosta, sure. case in point, right there. Yeah, I mean, we made the best of it, which, again, props to us for not, you know, getting into the whole bickering thing like, oh, get up or whatever, like just get the game going and scoring. So, um, yeah, but to touch on the loanies you were mentioning to Mori, after the own goal mishap, he was extremely solid. Um, and obviously our future attacking center mid or something along those lines, Mount was also one of the main contributors for them. He had... The assist, he was obnoxious to watch not wearing a blue jersey because he was one of the top players on the on the pitch that game. So, Yeah, I I thought Mason Mount was great. I, Let's I, get into this that, my, actually, yeah, if you guys want yeah, to I mean, elaborate more. This was my first time really watching him. I never really caught him uh, playing for the youth team or playing for Vitesse, mainly because we don't really get the Dutch league over here in the United yeah. States. But, um, no, I, I, I thought he looked great. Uh He's a little bit quicker than I thought he was. Um, that first step, that ability to just kind of take a touch away from a defender and create a little bit of space for himself to pick out a pass or a, or or or, a, or continue his dribble, um, it it actually impressed me a lot. Um, that assist on their second goal, what a ball that was! Because he had, I know from the camera angle, it might have looked like. Uh, it looked like that typical FIFA pass where you just kind of double tap X and he just kind of drills <laughs> it across the box. And that's exactly what triple, it was. But if you tap. actually, if you actually look <laughs> at the replay, that window for him to play the ball through was really, really tight because Caballero did well getting off of his line, trying to prevent that cross. Um, and, and it was just picture perfect. I was really impressed with Mason Mount and Tamori. I think they're both great players, but you know, in terms of Mason Mount, I think that's the guy that we're going to be looking at and saying, Hey, you know, Maurizio Sarri needs to take a look at him next season unless Darby go up to the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I mean, Andres, what what do you think about Mason Mount? Is he is he a lock for for the future of Chelsea, or uh, is it are we being a little bit too uh, are we getting too ahead of ourselves? Well, I think he's got a little bit more. I think surprisingly, he will have more of a chance. Like Zola apparently has been keeping a, like close eye on his performances so far. Sorry isn't watching, but he's made his primary assistant keep a close eye on the loanies, which is a good sign for Chelsea. I don't think that's happened before. Like it's usually some other staff member that keeps track of that. So Sari's obviously invested on a few of the youngsters. I think specifically that assist, what it reminds me, it reminded me of instantly is that low driven, like curled cross that Kevin De Bruyne is like famous for essentially. And I could just think, like, sorry, must be thinking, wow, somebody who can do a low-driven cross, like, cutback kind of thing. Like, this is perfect for my system. So uh, the kid can – he's he's not afraid of shooting. He's got an eye for the pass. And Lord knows we need a consistent uh, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Set-piece taker. So he's got the tools. It all just – I know that they – Zola mentioned specifically about Mount that he needed to work on his physical game. And if there is a league where you're going to get pushed and bruised and bumped, it's the championship. So hopefully he can continue this throughout the season and, and it'll be an easy decision for Zari to keep him next season uh, with the first team rather than loaning him out to a Premier League side. I was going to say, I was going to say exactly that. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. If it, the one thing that he did need to work on was that physical aspect, right? Because he's not the biggest. He's not the tallest. He's not the strongest. But 
especially in that game, it, it felt like a championship game, didn't it? Because it, there wasn't a lot of uh, flashes of brilliance or, or, or great sequences of interplay. It was more bits and pieces of, you know, linking up two, three passes and, and creating an opportunity or pinging balls into the box. And Mason Mount um, was all over the place. I mean, he's not afraid to put a foot in, and, and especially for his size, which is pretty shocking. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited for him. He's going to continue to work with Frank, who proved that he's a great coach. Um, and, you know, hopefully he could be a future number eight for Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's enough about Mason Mount because I feel like if we talk about him more, we're just going to curse it. Yeah, and also I love that De Bruyne comp, but I also hate it because that just means that we're going to get rid of him and then he'll become really good after, you know. Oh, 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 no, we won't we won't make that mistake again, hopefully. But one last thing is in the physicality thing, apparently Mount hit like a crazy growth spurt during his time at Vitesse. So like he was supposed to be this tiny, minute, like potentially like Iniesta sized guy. And then I had heard of the growth spurt. Like you said, we don't get to watch him often. And then he post, uh, David Luiz posted a side by like a picture with him beside him. And he's got some size now. So it's just about like kind of like when you go through your awkward face and you just get your growth spurt like at age 13 and you're kind of like this weird lanky body. Like maybe he, getting used to that this season in a tough league next season, he'll be, you know, a little bit more polished and we'll be ready to go. I mean, maybe somebody could fact check me if it's one of our listeners, but if I'm not mistaking, I'm pretty sure he was playing uh, on the wings at Vitesse at some point. Uh, he was definitely he a moved. left wing. Yeah, before he got moved centrally. So, I mean, there you go. That's a guy that could that could also play on the left wing but could also play as, as a central attacking midfielder. Maybe yeah. him and Loftus-Cheek in the future playing on the same side together and, and, and switching positions is just completely um, dumbfounding defenses. Uh, that's like a wet dream, man. And, and just double-checked he's 5'10 now, so – Oh, okay. He's definitely gotten into his own in terms of size. There we go. Yeah, it's good. It's a good thing to play left wing now. Now that uh, Real Madrid got that new Nike kit deal for one point one billion dollars, something like that. Because uh, uh, I don't now know. Now they could afford Mbappe <laughs> and not Hazard. Oh, <laughs> that's 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 the right way to think about it. You're right. Uh, all right. So, anything else you guys want to talk about this game, or should we move on to the Crystal Palace? Let's move on to the let's, London Derby. Let's move on to the London Derby. So I'm going to go over the well, the final score, Chelsea 3, Crystal Palace 1. And I'll go through the starting lineup again. So Kepa and goal, Alonso, Luis, Rudy, and Dave on the back line. Jorginho, Conte, Barkley, Manny the midfield, Pedro, William, and a new man, Alvaro Morata, a.k.a. Alvaro. He scores when he wants except when he has too much time to think, Murata. Uh, <laughs> by far his best performance of this season, but I'm not going to be one of those guys who just changes his tone and say, oh, he's, this is this is the real Murata. This is exactly what we've been wanting to see. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I think he'll have one of these games every once in a while, and for the most part, it's going to be the same old uh, just head-scratching Murata that – we're used to but his uh, let's just focus on this match because he did he did perform really well so this game by the numbers uh he had five shots three on target two goals could have had a hat trick uh if it weren't for all the time he had to think about what to do um and three out of three successful tackles so um andreas i'll start with you this time what did you see that was different this time around from Murata? 
it's weird to say it, but I feel like he was confident. He was, you know, he put his head down and kind of had some fight in him. Um, I was telling Zach before we recorded, it was weird to see Morata after he scored. Like, you could tell he was all muddied and stuff from, like, you know, putting in a hard day's work. So I just thought he was a lot more composed than he usually is when his back is to goal. His movement was good. And yeah, whenever he just had to rely on instinct, things went well. So uh, hopefully we get to see that more. Uh, I wish I wish I could say it was like all based on confidence, but like it's so weird. Like he's so shocked when he scores still like his celebrations show it like I wish he now knew he was going to score like, you know, his celebrations more about it. You know, yeah, I just did that rather than like, whoa, did I just do that? So (laughs) I'm liking I'm liking this. uh this pickup and form from Murata, obviously I'm going to hope that it keeps kind of coming. Cause now he's got, I think he's only he's second to, to hazard and goals right now. I think he's only one goal or two goals shy of hazard. So that's great news for the team. Um, it was a very, very, very welcome sight and a very, very solid performance. Uh, like Sam, I'm not going to go and completely change my tone on Murata. I'm still skeptical about him. I'm still not sold, but he has proven that he could put together these little streaks of five or six games where he where, where he just bangs in goals like no tomorrow. Um, he did it last season. I think it was, what was it, nine goals in his first 11 matches or something like that, mm-hmm. and now he has four in his last four. Um, maybe he's that streaky striker that goes through these really long, periods of uh just shit performances and just completely dries up but once he finds that spark he uh he could put together this nice string of games where he just bangs in goals left and right but he needs to do this more consistently for me um i think before i start changing my tone on Murata, he needs to at least finish off the season with a minimum 15 goals um oh. anything less than that i think uh 15 goals in a premier league just to get that straight definitely definitely mm-hmm. and and sorry even said stuff that we've been saying this whole time he said that that Murata has a fragile mind and mm-hmm. that's his biggest uh detriment like to his game that he's got the tools like they asked him if he was ever going to be as strong as Drogba and he laughed that off but you know Murata's you know kind of surprisingly fast he does move well it just comes down to like, can he get out of his own head? And you, yeah. we mentioned it. It's like he had all the time in the world to finish the hat trick, and maybe he was thinking, oh, you know, I scored twice already. Maybe this chip will work rather than just slotting it beside mm-hmm. him. But those are the little things that you know that that make the difference between an okay striker and a world class striker. So while I'm so happy that he's doing well and that he's like sort of proving me wrong, I'm still. Not going to apologize, like you guys said, for being skeptical of him so far this season. Yeah. No, I, something something that I actually liked, uh, I was listening to the Sky Sports podcast, and th- they played his interview, and he, he alluded to the fact that he was so frustrated that he didn't get the hat trick, that it ruined his, quote, perfect day. Um, I'm curious to see how you guys interpret that, because when I first heard it, I, was, I wasn't thinking, oh, this guy's just being a bitchy and moany i actually thought that he had a little chip on his shoulder and was like shit i was feeling it i should have had that hat trick um andres or sama whichever one of you want to get into that i mean what do you think about that comment uh for me it's it's a kind of thing it, it was 
a sign of weakness. I mean, just looking at what he did with that last ball and he overthought it way too much. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something, you know, that, that kind of statement that he makes after the fact is kind of like something that he was thinking during that shot, you know, like I'm going to get a Patrick right now, overthinking it, getting excited. And, you know, instead of blasting it wide, you know, I mean, to the left or the right of the keeper, he tries to go over him. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's just really, you know, you, and you, you saw him after the match too. I mean, if, if you watched him, you know, after the whistle was blown, the camera just stayed on him and he just looked like he was distraught. I mean, he scored two goals in a season where he's, he has struggled, you know, so the two goals is, is, is a double is great for him. And, you know, we won three, one. And if you saw the look on his face, it looks like, you know, we just lost off a last second goal in stoppage time, you yeah. know? So his his head is not in the right place, and I really am I'm, I'm starting to get annoyed by his attitude. But you know, signs like this game, should, you know, tend to make me think a little bit that he's going to change. But comments like that afterwards is kind of makes me, you know, fall back on him being immature. Yeah, I mean, he he also talked about last season how he was willing to blame anything and everything for the reason right. why his performances sucked, and he I think he said something along the lines of, you know, I I remember one time I even blamed the wetness of the pitch, yeah, uh, for not playing well or something along those lines. It's like, well, uh, then he, why the he, fuck did you move to London? He said <laughs> yeah, he was considering. He said he was considering blaming the wet pitch for this missed hat trick opportunity, but. The thing that I think uh, Sam was trying to talk about is like I, I saw this stat that said only three players in the Premier League this season have a better minutes to goal ratio than uh, Morata right now, and I think it's Hazard, Aubameyang, and uh, I can't remember who the third person is. But the fact is, like, if Hazard misses that third I think shot, it might be Richarlison. I'm I'm not sure, but if Hazard mits, misses that third shot at the end of the game and doesn't get the hat trick, he laughs it off in the interview. You know, he makes a joke out of it because he still scored two goals. The interview he had after the game, he just sounded so low energy and like down in the dumps. It's like, dude, you just had a brace. You just had a great game. Laugh it off. On to the next one. Like, don't get so caught up in like, oh crap, I didn't get a hat trick. You scored twice in this game. When was the last time you did that for this club? Like. Take the victories, like keep pushing yourself forward rather than, oh no, I missed the chip. Like, get over it. Like, That's the team just won. immaturity about him. Right, I right. I he actually don't well. have a problem with that, though. I, I, don't, I don't have an issue with him being disappointed that he didn't get his hat trick. I mean, when you look at it from his perspective, I mean, he was on fire this game, right? Uh, we, we talked about it before we started recording how his link up play was great and how his movement uh, in and around the penalty area was great. I mean, he was feeling it. He he was hot. It's it's kind of like a it's kind of like in the NBA where you know it's someone someone heats up, hits a couple shots, and then they jack up a three from way behind the three point line. They call it a heat check, and they just throw up a brick and they get pissed off about it. That's exactly what this was. I mean, he had a chance to to get that hat trick, and I feel like if he did get that, I mean, that would have just been a huge springboard because he is mentally fragile, and you guys are right on that in that sense. If he does get this hat trick mentally, he's gonna think like, "Damn, I am on." fire right now nobody's gonna stop me and he did that last season I mean every match he was pretty much scoring um and and and, you know maybe he does get this hat trick let's say he does he goes into the he goes into the Everton match bangs in another goal 
all of a sudden we have a potentially world-class striker on our hands. Um, it, but but because he missed, he's pissed off about it. And I think he has a right to be. Any any footballer is going to be pissed off when you have a chance to get a hat trick at home, um, especially right. when you especially when you had you know the past nine or ten months that Maratha had. I mean, I get that, but like to the point to where like you in the post game are like totally not going to talk about everything else you did good. Like, I feel like, like I mentioned, like Hazard's confident enough to be like, yeah, I wish I would have gotten that hat trick. I'm going to get it next time. But then he'll laugh it off. Like, yeah, I was stupid to try the chip. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you can catch a video of it, he just, they, the reporter was trying to like entice him to say more stuff. And he was just like, Oh, you know, the most important thing is the three points. Like that was his tone of voice. And it's just like, I get that you're bummed about the hat trick, but like you just scored twice. Like you just had a great game. Like be like, yeah, sh- shit. Like I messed up. Like I, I could, I could have gotten it. I'm going to get it next time. But like, dude, you, you were, if it, in my opinion, Pedro was the man of the match, but yeah, like mm-hmm. Alvaro, Agreed. like, dude, you were a boss. And like, to say that he was bummed is really an understatement. Zach, I, I need to find a video clip of, of right after the whistle was blown and the camera is just on Murata's face. I mean, he. I, I. I'll find the clip, and you just have to post it to our Twitter. It's. It's really like he, we just lost the match. You know, he. He. He is really immature about this. But anyway, yeah, Andreas, you mentioned Pedro. I agree with you, man of the match. Uh, oh, he, Pedro Rodriguez. Yes, uh, he. Man. He was the man, uh, especially this this past Sunday. So. I'll go through his numbers. Three out of four tackles completed. 63 out of 69. Nice. Passes completed. Uh, five, five of seven dribbles won. Uh, he scored the third goal to seal it and also an assist to open up uh, the scoring. Um, this season, he has uh, four goals and one assist in 483 Premier League minutes. So um, I'll start off with you, Zach, because – you've been you've been kind of talking about this for a while does this performance prove and just write it write it in stone that pedro has to be in over william when hazard starts oh 100 percent. because pedro's pedro's a proven goal threat but he could also play with both feet he could provide the killer pass and he knows how to move in and around the box i mean look it's it's simple if you put pedro in the same position uh, or if you put Pedro on the right wing, there's no way he gets into that position to provide a cross to Murata. I mean, Pedro was so deep into the box. Um, it, it, that's just not where Willian operates. You could see Willian maybe operating 10 or 15 yards further behind or maybe out a, a little bit more to the right, maybe just outside of the box, but definitely not right there. Um, look, Pedro's been playing the right wing his whole career. He's proven. He's he, he's won every single trophy there is to win. He's played with some of the best footballers in the world. He's very, very intelligent with his movement, and it just showed in his game. And I'm really, really glad that he got his goal um, because I thought it would have been completely uh, – it, it would have been one of those performances where he just balled the fuck up but just didn't get his goal, and, and, and that would have been kind of shitty for him. But he got his goal, took it well. Got himself into a great position with a little Lampard-esque run right there. But, yeah, I mean, Pedro's definitely the guy to play on that right wing. You just need somebody to complement Hazard, um, somebody that's going to be able to run beyond the striker, uh, but also someone that's going to be able to drop off in between the lines and, and have a quick pop at goal. I actually looked up a heat map 
of uh of where these play of where our players were operating for a majority of the match and believe it or not Willian was actually uh operating higher than Pedro he was he was playing a little bit closer to Morata Pedro was playing just behind them um uh, uh right in between Angolo Conte and uh and uh Alvaro Morata so you know he took matters into his own hands you know we didn't have Eden Hazard we needed a spark and he just happened to be that guy and Again, he proved why he's so valuable, and I I just think it's funny that you know he's he's putting in performances like this. And uh, over the summer, everybody was bitching and moaning about why the fuck did we just re-sign this 31-year-old guy who can't play for shit? But everybody seems to forget his 11 goals in our title-winning season and his four goals so far this season, uh, with missing what was it three matches or four matches? Um, so the sky's the limit for him, man. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Four goals and one assist in 486 Premier League minutes. That's what uh, a, a direct involvement in a goal in every 90 minutes or so. I'll take that every single day of the week. Something that he does that William doesn't is he puts numbers on the board. Um, you know, William could put together the greatest performance, but he won't score or he won't get an assist in that game. And that's his criticism. When Pedro plays well, he puts numbers on the board. He gets that goal. He gets that assist, and he proved it here against Crystal Palace. Yeah, Pedro was fantastic. Like I always say, he does all that work out, like without having the ball at his feet, which is so important. And like Zach mentioned, you need that compliment to your Hazard, who's your playmaking winger. Like As much as we want Hazard to back 30, 40 goals a game, he's always looking to play his teammates through. And... Williams never going to be the guy to get in th- for a driven cross into the box or finish something around the six. And again, even if Pe- William would have gotten into that position that Pedro did, that's the typical William skying kind of skying into the second level kind of shot. So Pedro mm-hmm. just has that like instinctive. I just need to place it. It's, it's just what he does. And yeah, again, he, he does so much off the ball to open up space, like even to, to make Murata look better by not like congesting uh, the same positions or by not slowing down the play because he wants to have the ball at his feet. It, there's just so much that stats don't show that Pedro does that not only help him, but those around him. So I'm glad that he's healthy. I'm glad to have him back. And hopefully this performance will mean that he gets to start at right wing again this upcoming weekend. I just want to add to that, you know, something that a lot of people don't realize is as much as Hazard and Willian love playing together because, you know, they're both so great technically and, and their ability to beat people one-on-1v1 is like unparalleled within the squad at least. You know, you got a guy like Pedro on that opposite flank. As Andres said, Hazard's going to be that guy that cuts in off the left, that creates, uh, th- th- that creates a space and just causes havoc. But when you have Willian on that opposite flank, you only really need one defender to take him out of the game if you're the opposition. When when you're playing Pedro on that opposite flank, you got to be on your toes the whole entire 90 minutes because Pedro could hurt you when you pack it in and you have all 11 guys behind the ball. And Pedro could hurt you with, through the run of play, and he could hurt you on the counterattack with his pace. I mean, he's just that trip. He, he, he has that. I know it's an American sports term, but he almost has like that triple threat ability, right? Like he could hurt you in more ways than one as opposed to William. And I think that's going to open up the game a little bit more for Murata as it did. Um, I I thought Crystal Palace had a really hard time coping with Pedro's movement. He didn't only he didn't only stick out onto the right. He was tucked in a lot of times behind Murata and William. 
um, and, and playing sort of that like pseudo false nine role slash number 10 role. Um, and, you know, maybe having that guy on the opposite flank to take out a defender or two, which Pedro does so well compared to William, who doesn't do that consistently enough, that could free up Morata and get him in more 1v1 situations. Or that could possibly create a little gap in between the outside back and the center half where Morata is so great at running through. Um, Pedro has to be in the lineup when Hazard comes back. I think our best team has Pedro in it without a doubt. I love William, don't get me wrong. Um, but at this point in this system, he's just he 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 has to be reduced to an impact sub. I'm sorry. I just think Pedro's way too good uh and, and, and for his talent to be wasted coming off of the bench. You know, something else about the season that's that's pretty new for uh Chelsea fans from the you know the previous seasons is uh Sari's utilization of um of some pretty earlier subs. I mean, I wouldn't say early subs, but earlier than what we're used to um, the past couple seasons. Um, in the 64th minute, he did a double uh, swap with Eden Hazard coming in for Willian and uh, Kovacic coming in for Ross Barkley. And I think uh, this, this has been something that's been, you know, wonderful about having Sari in uh, as our manager of the season is, you know, we, we never really expected subs to come in and provide quality minutes for us. It's just usually in the, you know, the end of the game, dead dead time but really they don't have any time to make an impact but really Kovacic especially um coming in for Ross Barkley I know that's my guy but um still Kovacic came in and he he provided a lot uh as far as calming the game down as Ross Barkley did get dispossessed a, a couple times and you know all throughout Twitter people were talking shit about my boy Ross Barkley having short-term <laughs> memory from the past two weeks when he was actually a god um but uh, Andreas, since I'm I'm kind of uh, alluding to Kovacic having a better performance, I want to have your take. Um, what what do you think about Kovacic um, coming on and just overall uh, sorry substitution methods this season? Yeah, so specifically for this past weekend, I thought Kovacic was definitely needed for the end of the game when Palace at that point was honestly on the front foot. They had just scored in the 56th, I think. And at that point we were in shambles in the midfield. Like there was nothing kind of connecting and, you know, Kovacic has that ability to dribble himself out of trouble, which I think Barkley, like, again, is still learning how to get away from the pressure. So I thought that was extremely important. Um, And whenever you have these teams that are trying to press you so quickly and you can, once you beat that initial press, you, their whole uh, tactic, tactical awareness or positioning is screwed because now you have one man running free and somebody else is going to have to move out of position. And that's where Kovacic can come in and find that open man and, and create that pass that leads to another pass. So that's, that's why I really liked about that. sub. obviously you bring hazard into a game with players with tired legs and he's going to do his thing. So he could have had two assists today. He got one. So Again, 30 minutes made his presence felt. But throughout the season, it's been constantly uh, these subs with 20, 30 minutes left. And it's I don't know what the exact number, but I'm pretty sure that Chelsea lead the league in the most goals in the final 10 minutes, which is ridiculous. Like the last two, three seasons, we've been always trying to kill the game off or just survive in the last 10 minutes. While this year, like we're like, no, sorry, like, no, screw that. You need to keep scoring. Like you never know what's going to happen. Like. Our players are playing through the 90 minutes and trying to get more points on the board 
before that final whistle, which I think kind of comes on when you have an impact sub who gets time to actually make his you know performance felt on the final result. So that's how I feel about the subs this year. I think uh, I think the substitutes or the substitutions uh, it actually reflects how much trust Sari has in his players. Um, we talked about it a little a couple weeks ago how you know he's not really a he's not really a manager he's he's a coach you know he coaches these players he he teaches them the proper way to play football in his vision um, and and we see that I mean we saw it with Ross Barkley now we're seeing it with Loftus Cheek uh, Kovacic was obviously Kovacic caught on. From the beginning, because you know he's more natural for uh, for sorry ball, but um, you know the fact that he makes these substitutions so early and identifies what the game needs and and, and what what players need to be on the pitch for the team to get a result um, is something that needs to be commended and something that not a lot of people talk about. Um, you know, like Psalm said with Antonio Conte, man, I mean, we would if we got a sub before the 80th minute, it was a blessing, wasn't it? But now with Maurizio Sarri, it's like. Right after an hour, you could pretty much expect to see at least one or two substitutions come on, uh, guaranteed. And you know, it, it speaks volumes to the amount of trust that the players have in him. And you could really see why the players love him. Um, and and that—that's just case in point. You know, he trusts his—he trusts his team. He trusts his squad. He knows the specific abilities of each player and and what they bring onto the pitch. And and it shows with the substitutions. I I, I think it's a great thing. I, I absolutely love that about Maurizio. Sorry. Yeah, so uh, I think if unless you guys have anything else you want to say about this match, uh, we're going to move on to the quick thoughts. Um, does anyone have anything they want to add? I'm just really pissed off that uh, uh, an ex-Spud scored against us. I'm just really <laughs> irritated. Yeah, that makes it even worse. That's true. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so quick thoughts. Uh, first, uh, we have a Twitter question from at OG Post Route. Uh, the homie. So he asks, who do you think will end our unbeaten run? Uh, the trick question is no one will, but uh, he also elaborates <laughs> saying, will it be a bogey team or a team contending for the title? Andreas, I'll start off with you. What do you think? Um, I don't know if it'll be a bogey team. The way I see it, December is always tough. Um, we're still in all the competitions that we're participating in. I just think that maybe somebody catches off catches us off guard in December. Obviously, we play Man City in December too, but we've played well against all the big teams so far. It seems like we've uh, adjusted within Sorry Ball tactics how to deal with those kind of teams. But yeah, yeah I don't know if it'll be something oh. Play Watford at Christmas. You never know. You're playing three games a week at that point. The weather, whatever, it could be just those days. I don't think it'll lead to a bad run. I just think it'll be, you know, just one off the concentration of so many games in such a short period of time. Yeah, I agree with Andres. I mean, you look at Napoli last year. Yeah, they did drop points, um, but they never went on these two, three game dry runs. Um, when they would drop points, they'd make the proper adjustment sorry would pick the proper team and pick up three points their following game um i see the tottenham match being a huge issue uh, at the same time you know they do have they do have a champions league that midweek but you know when, when you really look at it do they really have a chance of moving on to the next round or are they 
They're just going to throw out a shit team and rest a lot of their players. The Spurs match does worry me, considering that we usually don't play very well against them. Um, um, you know, I thought Crystal Palace, if anything, would have been the bogey team. So I think it'll be more about the fact that December has so many games uh, every week. I think we play three games every seven days. So if anything, I see us just having one off day in the midst of a bajillion games in a month and just having just one one off and getting back to business afterwards. But yeah, I don't I don't see us, you know, losing to a Fulham or a Huddersfield anytime soon. Uh, I don't want to curse it. But I could see the Tottenham match being a possible banana peel. You know, they're not doing very well in Champions League. They do have that match midweek. Maybe they filled out a we- field a weaker team and just focus on uh, qualifying for the Champions League next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, going to Wembley is always difficult for us. But maybe some Marcus Alonso magic could get us through it again. Yeah, and as long as you don't go to the match, I think we stand a pretty good chance. <laughs> don't remind me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, uh, another question, Wilfred Zaha as a false nine, uh, potentially Zach, I'll start off with you. Yay or nay? I like it. I like it a lot. I I've always liked Wilfred Zaha. I always buy him on FIFA, even though he's X-Man United. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he'd be great as a false nine. He could also play off of the right into, in that little Pedro role. So yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. Ditto. Um, as long as his price tag isn't unreasonable, I think Zaha has the size to play up the middle for us, and he would make our front three extremely fluid because he has played in winger as well. So, yeah, if the money makes sense, let's do it. Yeah, we're, we're not starting transfer rumors. We're just, uh, you know, thinking hypothetically <laughs> here. So before you guys right. get ahead of yourselves and, and, and tweet at us, we're not starting any rumors. Uh, but this one's a rumor. I'm going to. I, I kind of want to save that one for last because I, I oh, okay. it's, it's not going to be a quick – I can't I'll just restrict it to a th- quick thought. This one it deserves more time. So I'm going to go I'm gonna go to the next question. Uh, Fabregas coming on to replace Jorginho for the first time this season, um, this past weekend. Will we see more of that as the, patch, as the matches pile up? Andreas, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. I think there's only two players in our current squad that can replace Jorginho, and that's Fabregas and Kovacic. So, yeah, I can see it, uh, especially like you said, when, when Jorginho's playing more and more games, the man's going to need a break, especially because in Italy you don't have that kind of winter period. So I can definitely see him getting you know those last 15, maybe 20 minutes off to let Kovacic or Fabregas take on the, the regista role. Finally, Maurizio Sarri started rotating Jorginho. It's about time. I've been wanting to see Fabregas come on for for him late in games for a while now. I'm finally glad it's happening. I think Sesk is the the perfect person to bring on late game. We know how big of an impact he has as as an impact sub, and the fact that he's an elite passer just makes it a perfect marriage for him to come into that Jorginho role. I love it. Zach, you you took the words right out of my mouth. Like I feel like it's just the perfect, perfect. You know, and I've seen so many people talk about how. Oh, one of our priorities, the this next transfer window is to find someone who can play the same role as uh, Jorginho. And I'm like, man, I mean, Fabregas isn't obviously he's not as I don't think he's as good of a def- on the de- as on the defensive side as Jorginho is, but he fills that role so perfectly. I think uh, as far as just has sorry as sorry ball goes, um, but I, you said it exactly the right way. Um, 
We'll go to the next question. This is another Twitter question from at Dean Mears. He says, is Barkley better coming off the bench rather than starting? <gasps> no. <laughs> he says he, he feels that we play better with Kovacic lining things up and then Barkley coming in the game when players are more tired to give him more opportunities. Uh, it, it The logic makes really good sense. Uh, I really, I, I know it's a very solid question. Um, Zach, I'll start off with you. What do you make of this? Do you agree or disagree with Mr. Dean Mears? I think I think he's on to something. Look, I I was the one that touted Barkley and, and said that he should be starting every match until he dries up, right? Um, well, I mean, he, he played one match uh, against Palace where he wasn't great. Um, I still think we should be starting him next week against Everton just because he's going to be up for it. Um, but, you know, if he does go through this little dry patch, I think bringing Kovacic back into the first team, um, maybe playing the first hour or so, tiring the other team out. And then when we need a little more direct threat, we opt to go with a guy like Ross Barkley. It makes total sense for me. But as of right now, I mean, I continue playing Ross Barkley, especially against his former club. I think that's a I think that's a must. I mean, mm-hmm. when he, when a guy's in that kind of form, you got to play him against his former club. It's just, You're just asking for uh, some headlines written in the stars right there. <laughs> Yeah, I I think it just comes down to the tactics of what the other team may deploy. If they're even going to give Chelsea a slight breathing space in midfield, let Barkley have a run at it. He's amazing running at the opponent's goal, and you know he produces goals when he's given that sort of time. Um, I you know we've always talked about you know why can't they play together? You know Conte is going to need a break at some point too. But, yeah, I just think it depends on the opposition. I would definitely play Kovacic against your cities and Tottenham and your top four competition to start. And then anything below that, I think it's a toss-up between Barkley and Kovacic just because different teams will deploy different tactics. But, yeah, that's that's how I see it. All right, so the question that I decided to do last-minute audible and put it last, um, this one – you, it, we don't have to restrict it to quick thoughts because I think it does deserve a little bit more discussion. The rumors coming up, and these are if these are legitimate rumors actually now. This is not us making it up. Um, Barcelona offering Malcolm and Cash for a swap deal with Willian. Um, this is the newest Chelsea rumor. Uh, Andreas, I'll start with you. What do you think? Do you like this deal? Um... Yes, I do. So William and Malcolm, both Brazilian, neither of them homegrown. So it's not like we're losing a homegrown versus not homegrown slot. Malcolm is left footed. And he like we mentioned about Pedro being direct and actually getting in front of goal. That's what Malcolm does versus William. Um, I think. It'll be oh Malcolm's only played 105 minutes for Barcelona all season after they hijacked the deal from Roma because they so desperately wanted Malcolm, and William will get to do more of the dribbling and all that kind of thing he loves to do at Barcelona, who are actually desperate for a left winger, which benefits William also. So again, I think it's a win-win. Um, we get 20 million also, which I think is a steal, but I'm. Actually, I think this is a great deal both ways. I love it. I think it's a great piece of business if we could pull it off. But again, look, I'm not going to believe anything until I see Malcolm holding a Chelsea jersey and signing a contract. Um, I, I, I don't believe any transfer rumor until I see that photo. Um, that, that, that makes it official. 
because if all transfer rumors were true, then we would have Lionel Messi, Ronaldinho. Uh, we would have had, what, Cristiano Ronaldo maybe, too, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I mean, the list goes on and on. I can't count how many elite footballers we had linked to the club that just never panned out because uh, some newspapers need a little bit of extra cash and some views. So until I see it, I won't believe it. But um, the concept makes sense. Andres hit the nail on the head. It, it, it would be a great buy. It's a guy that does have upside, and we are getting cash for it too. So if that deal does go through, let's say Malcolm – Let's say that deal does go through and uh, and Malcolm doesn't perform or he does perform. That's only going to increase his value and we could all always turn around and sell him for a profit anyways because we're Chelsea and that's what we do. I mean we have a great business model where we could profit off of players. So I'm all for it. And I think the key is is uh, Malcolm being left-footed because um, what he can provide on that right side is something that we desperately, desperately need and that's just a goal-scoring threat. Um, and I don't know. It's It's – it's a very bittersweet consideration for me because I just love William so much and I don't want to um, do a hypothetical trade in my head where he's off to Barcelona, a team that I, I don't really like that much personally, but it as a business move and just really even, even for a football move, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great idea. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I'm still undecided on how I feel. Um, so that's it for quick thoughts. Let's move on. Uh, we'll just do a quick, quick preview. Wait, we're not going to talk about Wayne Rooney's final testimonial match for oh, England? Uh, oh, no. Nah, I think that's, that, let, let, yeah, let's move that, on. That, yeah, that's not relevant. Sorry. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about, let's talk about this Chelsea versus Bate. Um, this, this game's going to be in Borisov. Um, and so I don't know how much we, we want to talk about it the second time we'll see him. So, um, Zach, you want to give a score prediction and perhaps a bold prediction? Yeah, I'm going to go 3-0 Chelsea, RLC with another hat trick, baby. I'm confident. (laughs) You just make that prediction every week. Yeah, I'm just going to make that prediction every week until it actually happens. (laughs) Andreas, what about you? I I don't think that's that bold of a a prediction, Zach. I think Chelsea's averaging three goals a game in the past six. I'm saying 4-0 Chelsea, Ooh. and I'm saying that hudson Adoy will contribute to a goal, whether that's a goal or an assist. That's a toss-up, but hudson Adoy will play, and he'll contribute to a goal. Song, continue. Finish strong. <laughs> uh, I like the 4-0 uh, score prediction as well. Um, and... Uh, I, I can't think of a bold prediction. I'm trying to think of something like kind of funny, uh, but I can't think of anything right now. I'll, it, it'll come to me. Uh, but let's get <laughs> let's get into Chelsea Everton. All right, before I uh, embarrass myself anymore. Uh, I, the game's going to be at Stanford Bridge right now. Everton sitting ninth in the table with uh, 19 goals scored, uh, which is tied with Spurs and United right now. They've won four of their last five Premier League matches, and um, their record at the bridge in the Premier League era, uh, not very good for them. Only one win, 10 draws, and 15 losses. Um, so, Zach, uh, you want to start off by uh, giving your input on what to look out for? Yeah, Especially probably your my man. Your man. Probab- yeah, I mean, th- this is a guy that I always wanted Chelsea to go after and Richarlison. I mean, the the kid just has it all. He could play with both feet. He could play out wide. He could play up top. And, uh, 
you know, even though he got a three-game ban earlier on in the season, he still somehow managed to score six goals. Um, but so, you know, we, we got to worry about the one-two punch uh, over Charleston and, and Gilfie Sigurdsson. I think Sigurdsson has five goals with two assists, something along those lines. Um, look, they link up really well. They have a very good understanding. And as of late, um, their front three has looked extremely fluid, minus Theo Walcott, who's absolute shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, if we can nullify the threat of Richarlison and Gilfie Sigurdsson and force some of their other players to hurt us, I think we'll have a very good chance of winning this game comfortably. Um, I think we are very lucky that Kurt Zuma can't play against us because I think mm-hmm. he's picked up his form recently. Um, also, I think for Everton, their main uh, source of a threat against us will be the Gilfie Sigurdsson set pieces, whether they're direct or indirect. So obviously uh, having a solid defense will be huge. But something tells me that this is going to be one of those Everton games where we just come in and kind of just give it to them. Hazard didn't get to play a full 90 last weekend, so he'll be rested, ready to go. Pedro's healthy. I... I hate to say it, but I'm not really worried about this game. I think it's more about what Chelsea's going to do right than being more afraid of what Everton could potentially do. Mm-hmm. See, I think that's something that's different from last year. And, you know, it's last season we always talked about on this podcast, what do Chelsea need to do to win, right? It's what do we need to do? How do we need to set up our defense? What players need to be on the pitch? How do we need to attack? Whereas this season, I mean, we're the team on the front foot. So it's more like, what do we need to look out for as opposed to, you know, what do we absolutely have to execute? Like, yeah, we could look out for Richarlison and Sigurdsson and maybe one of them will bang in a goal. But guess what? We're going to score three because we average three per game as opposed to this whole, yeah, let's keep them out of the net and walk away with this one nil. Look, if it's another 5-0 like it was a couple years ago, which was probably the best performance I've seen at the bridge in my time being a Chelsea fan – uh, then we're definitely in for a treat, Andres. I love the confidence, man. Um, but I, I, w- I want to make something, uh, a, a, one more quick point. You know, they love to play with width and they love to play balls into the box. Um, and they signed Lucas Dignan from, Ars- from uh, Arsenal, from Barcelona. And uh, obviously, Seamus Coleman is a decorated Premier League footballer, a proper footballer also. Um, they, they provide that width for them. They love to overlap. Uh, the inverted wingers that they play with in their little 4-2-3-1 system. And if we can pin them back with our own attacking build-up play in Alonso and, and, and Aspi, I think that'll completely nullify their counter-attacking threat. Um, and then it'll strictly just be Richarlison up top on his own because we all know Theo Walcott isn't the player that he was supposed to be. And uh, Bernard lacks all the physical qualities to be uh, an effective Premier League player as of now. So... Um, yeah, if we could just pin back those uh, those outside backs, I think that'll save us a lot of trouble in this game, and that'll really isolate Sigurdsson and Richarlison. Yeah, I think Dave and uh, Marcos Alonso's role in this game is going to be huge. If they have yeah. a good performance, then I, I I see us easily winning this match. But if if they, if they struggle, then it's going to be a little bit closer than uh, than maybe I've previously thought. So uh, mm-hmm. any. Uh, Let's let's get into the score and bold predictions. I I promise to redeem myself on this one. Uh, Andreas, we'll start off with you. What do you think? Uh, my bold prediction is going to be that Richarlison, much like his last trip to the bridge, if I'm not mistaken, is going to miss two sitters. 
damn it, dude. Oh my god, I swear to god, you just took my prediction. Oh my god. Yeah, I think he's gonna miss two. Just Kepa's gonna be caught like in no man's land, and I think Richarlison's just gonna miss. I, I was gonna say something along the lines of he's gonna do something that's gonna make Zach be like, oh, okay, maybe he's not as good as I thought. But <laughs> no, dude, did you see the goal he scored last weekend? Was just ridiculous. He's such a good footballer. Look, I'm going two one Chelsea. I think Richarlison scores for Everton, but I also think Eden Hazard comes in and gets his double. I mean, it's I even though he's like tied for for leading scorer in the Premier League, I feel like it's been so long since he scored. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it feel like it's, it's been at least like a good right? Run? But it definitely uh, feels that way. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're long overdue for an Eden Hazard double, and uh, a lot of we haven't really been hearing the talk of him being the best player in the Premier League for the last couple of weeks. So he's going to get his double, and then everyone's going to start sucking on. Uh, Hazard's dick sometime soon, so that'll always be good. <laughs> and uh, he, he's not going to be complaining about not getting a hat trick after the match, huh? No, no, no. He's going to do like one of those typical Hazard winks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bye, bye. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to pull off one of those things. I mean, that, that that pretty much brings us to the to the end of this podcast. Um, so uh, good episode, guys. I look. You know, last week we we obviously had Sujin on. I forgot to mention uh, also that you know if I I did mention that she was a part of uh, actually the uh, the head of our local chapter for me and Sam for the LA Chelsea Blues. If you haven't signed up with CIA Chelsea in America, please 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 make sure you do that because this is how we actually network and this is how we find people. Even though we didn't find Andres directly through CIA, he's all the way in Houston. We're all the way in LA. We found him on Twitter, but still, he's a member of CIA. He's very tight-knit with his group, met a lot of great people. Me and Sam have met a lot of great people either. Uh, uh, I've met a lot of great people also. We really encourage you guys to sign up. This is something that's totally awesome for Chelsea Football Club, and it'll only expand the brand um, and and put more money into banks so we can buy better players, man. So do it. Uh, Make sure you follow us on Twitter, (laughs) at Roman's Empire Pod. Uh, Shoot us an email also if you'd like, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. we have a lot more content coming at you guys soon. Hopefully uh, we'll get two more victories. And uh, until then, we'll talk to you next week. Keep the blue flag flying high.